why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter one is where we're gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, throw your hand up. We have people who'd love to get Bibles into your hands so that you could turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter one, and follow along as we, as we track through a few verses here in Luke chapter, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. As you're turning there, I mean, I've said this a lot. Every Christmas I'll say it. I've been saying it the last few Sundays. I mean, I love Christmas. Like, I'm, I'm goofy for Christmas. I just, I honestly, the sentimental, all of the goofiness. Like, am I, all right, give it a little whoop whoop. People, others love it too, right? Like, I'm the one who wanders into Walmart and it's after Halloween and Christmas music's on. I'm like, yes, I'm not upset about it. I just love it. I don't know why. I, I put on all the, like, in my house, you'll hear Christmas music going on. I just, I just dig it. But here's the thing about Christmas that I find. It's as much as I love the, the sentimentality of it, here, here's my fear. In a lot of ways, the original, the, the biblical Christmas story has been somewhat Instagrammed by our culture. Here's what I mean by that. The perfect picture of Christmas is shown. It's, you, you put the best new filters on the, the, the picture of Christmas and, and everyone just posed right and, and here's the Christmas story. And, and so the nativity scene, it's so cozy. It's so, it's so, it's so nice. It's so comfortable. Like even the ox and lamb kept time. Okay, the oxen land, perfect, perfect rhythm. I don't think so, right? Right? Silent night. Now, I've only experienced three births, right? I, I've been in the room when my three kids have been born. Silent is not one of the words I would use to describe that, all right? And so when you come to the Christmas story, when you come to Mary here in Luke chapter one, let, let's pull away the, the hallmark kind of way of looking at it. Let, let's look and see what's really going on here. Because here's what's going on. Luke, the person who wrote this, he was a physician, a doctor, and he's writing it for a, a specific purpose. In fact, look up at verse three of chapter one. Here's his reason for writing this all down. He's a, he's a historian, a doctor. He goes, I want to get this down. He goes, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing for this guy. Hey, Theophilus, I want you to know what's going on. So I've researched and I, I'm putting this all together for you. Why? Verse four, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. He said that, that you might have certainty. That word there he uses in, in, in the Greek, it's found in two other places in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter five where it talks about the prison was certainly locked, securely locked. It was tight. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it, it talks about the same word, talking about, about there being a safety and a security, using that, that same word. So Luke's saying, hey, hey, Theophilus, I wanna give you the straight goods here. I wanna give you the facts of what happened, not just so you can have all the facts, but so you can have this, this locked down, secure, unshakable, solid, stable, immovable hope in what you've been taught. He said, I want, I want to give you this foundation to stand on, this foundation of hope, a, a security. Listen, the same security that's allowed Christians throughout the centuries to thrive in the midst of persecution. It's, it's this knowing that, that's, that's sure and secure in, in, in the face of sickness or loneliness or disillusionment or grief or uncertainty you might find yourself in. In fact, this same Luke who wrote this book, this, this historical account of Jesus' life, he also wrote the book of Acts. He followed Paul around on Paul's missionary journeys as a doctor. So, so this would be the same Luke who probably would have been tending to Paul after his countless beatings and whippings and imprisonments and shipwrecks. Luke knows what kind of truth lasts and what kind of truth doesn't last. 
think it's why this passage here is so huge, that God is about to make this announcement to this, this unwed teenager that she's going to have a child. And not just any child, but, but no, no, Mary, you're, you're going to deliver God the Son. I mean, this is going to turn Mary's world completely upside down. She's going to need some sort of solid, unshakable hope that she can stand on in the midst of this. In fact, I've been asking this question all week because I've been pressing in on this text, and I've been asking myself this. What does walking in hope, what does sacrifice really mean if I have a solid hope? Like, what's that look like? I'm not just talking about, you know, what is it to give or to tithe or to serve and give some hours of service each week. And no, what's it really look like for us to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? What's it look like to to lay down your rights? What's it look like to lay down your dreams, your hopes, your reputation, your security, your comfort? In fact, look at verse 38 of chapter one. We're gonna give you the end of this, all right? I'm gonna ruin the, the end of the story, right? Here's where Mary gets to at the very end of this. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How did Mary get there? How did she get to this place? She says, Lord, I'm yours. You just use me however you want to use me. Well, let's track back and see. Look at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, What's sixth month? The sixth month of the year? What, what's this? If, if you're tracking through Luke chapter one, it's, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember Elizabeth? She was super old. Her and her husband, Zechariah, they were promised that they were gonna have a child that was gonna come. There was gonna be the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist. And so, so he's saying here, he said, hey, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I love this. Why, why would he say a, a city in Galilee named Nazareth. Why is he giving so much detail here? I think part of it is this. He's writing to this guy, Theophilus, and, and, and Nazareth was such a small podunk town. Like, like, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. It is this tiny, like a few hundred people, one well, a lot of farmers, and just, just this tiny little town. He's going, hey, the city of Nazareth, hey, it was in Galilee, because you probably don't know where it is, right? If you grew up in a small town, you probably are used to doing this. When people say, hey, where'd you grow up? And you say the name of your town, but then you all say, it's near because just assume they're not going to know where your town is, right? That's what Luke's doing here, I think. He's saying, hey, hey, let me show you where it is, this Nowheresville, Nazareth. It says, the angel came, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, so this angel Gabriel comes to this, this girl, Mary, described as a virgin. She had never been with a man, but she's betrothed to Joseph, this, this guy who was from the line of David. So he has kingly um, heritage in his background, and she's betrothed to him, but not married to him. Betrothed is this, though. You're legally bound to each other in this culture. When you're betrothed, you have a little ceremony saying, these two are going to be married. They're legally now bound to each other. The husband then goes away, and he gets stuff ready for, for the family that he's going to start. So he, he gets his finances in order. He gets a house in order, right, in time for when the marriage, actually, they celebrate that, and they, they consummate the marriage on their marriage day. So historically, if you're going to look at who this girl Mary was, when did betrothals and marriage happen at this time? She would be somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. That's how young she would be. I mean, think about that. Think about how young that is. I have, a, I have three girls and two of them, one's 13 and one's 15. So I'm looking at this going, what? That, that's the age that Mary was. 
And, and God's saying, hey, hey, Mary, I've got this assignment for you. Like, like here, here, just a little window into our home. We're still wondering, do we want to give an iPhone to our kids? And God's going, I'm going to give God the son to Mary, right? Are you kidding me? And he calls her, verse 28, he says, favored one, favored one, the one God chose, the, the one who God poured his grace out on. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's our first point this morning. It's this. When we look at this text, we're, hey, what's the hope I have? Here's, here's something you need to, to write down. Grace is amazing. Grace is amazing. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower this morning, grace has been poured out on you. That God would say to you, oh, favored one, oh, one who's been given grace. And listen, why is it grace? Because we don't deserve it. Why, why would God give grace to this little peasant junior high girl? Why would he pour out grace on this little girl in this little podunk town? Because God's God. Because God is good. I mean, he could, have, he could have picked anybody. He could have said, I'm going to pick this wealthy woman here. I'm going to pick this, this affluent, successful, significant woman. I'm, I'm going to pick this amazing town. I'm going to pick a palace so God the Son grows up in ease and prominence and significance and has the best education. And instead he says, Mary. I'm choosing Mary. I mean, that's amazing. This is why Christianity is so much better than just, just, just religion. Religion is so all about, hey, here's what you need to do to earn God's favor. And then in Christianity, it's all about God saying, no, no, no. I'm just going to favor you by grace. I'm going to take nobody from nowhere. I'm going to pour out grace on them. And that is why, listen, that's why we can't help but worship. That's why we can't help but talk about God. Let me, let me clear something up about this greeting, though, because there is some confusion around this. That, that, what does he say? He says, he says, greetings, oh favored one. Greetings, it's just a simple word. He's just saying hi. It's, a, it's a, just a normal way of, of saying hello to somebody. And he's saying, oh favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, now the Latin Vulgate, here's a little history lesson for you. The Latin Vulgate, which was the Latin translation of the Bible, so taken from the Greek, it's originally written in Greek, translated by a guy named St. Jerome into the Latin Vulgate. And, and, and what happened when he translated this verse, he actually translated it wrongly, and maybe you, you, this will be a familiar saying to you, he translated, Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. It's not actually in the Greek. The, the, the full of grace isn't in there. What, what the words actually say is the one who receives grace, not the one full of grace. It's, it's this passive. Mary's just there, and God's grace is being poured out on her. It's the same word used about us in Ephesians chapter 1, saying that we've been blessed with grace. We have the same favor of God poured out on us. Now, unfortunately, whole doctrines have been built around this bad translation. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you, you may have heard it said, yeah, but I, I heard that Mary had no sin. She was full of grace, that, that she's a source of grace, that she gives out grace. But, but Gabriel didn't actually say that. In fact, here's, here's the amazing, what Gabriel said is actually so much more amazing than, than that Mary's full of grace, so much more, more amazing for those of us here. He said, you're favored by God. Mary, you're given this free grace, this free gift, not love because you're special, Special because you're loved. It's grace given. Who's it given from? It says, given what? Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. This gives everyone here in this room hope. Because you too, like Mary, can receive this grace, this favor from God. When you put your hope in Christ, you are favored. So we would say, greetings, oh, favored one. Not loved because you're special. But listen, special because you're loved. 
This is amazing good news. This is amazing good news for those here in this room who know they need grace. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Man, I know I need this. Listen, it's humbling news for those here in this room who, who don't realize how much grace they actually need. You think, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. This should humble you that, that no, it's only by God's grace. <coughs> in fact, Mary gets the statement of grace. How do I know that? Because listen, it rocks her to the core. Look at what she says in verse 29. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, so remember, Zechariah sees the angel. He's freaked out. He's panicked. He's scared. Mary sees the angel. It's not so much Gabriel standing in her house talking to her, but it's, it's a saying. It says he's troubled at the saying. Like, like, what do you mean that God's pouring out grace on me? She's shocked, I think, because she knows she's a sinner. It shows how much she understands God's holiness and, and that God would pour out grace on her. This is amazing. In fact, it's why later on she sings, she sings a song at the, at the end of, of chapter one. And in that song, she's saying, God, my savior. She realized I needed to be saved. I did not have this on my own. God had to pour this out onto me. In fact, I think she'd be less surprised. She would not have troubled at the saying if, if, if Gabriel had showed up and said, Mary, God's going to judge you. Mary, God knows your heart. He knows the sin that's in your heart. He knows your thoughts. Maybe she would have reacted more like Isaiah had, had that been the announcement where when Isaiah came face to face with God, he, he said, woe is me, I'm undone. But look what the angel says to her. She's trying to figure this out. What do you mean God's grace is on me? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Mary, there's no fear needed here. You have this favor of God on you. And let me say this about grace and then we're gonna move on in the text. I'm gonna say this. I believe there are two kinds of people that would fill a church. There'd be religious people and there'd be true Christ followers. And I would say this, a true Christ follower would be somebody who actually understands, sees that I am totally in debt to God. And everything God pours into my life is a gift from him because I'm in debt to him because of my sin. Whereas a religious person would come to church saying, what do I need to do to earn God's favor? And, and what you're trying to do as a religious person is how do I tip the scales? How do I pour out enough good works that this thing tips over and now God, you're in debt to me? And you owe me heaven now because look at all the things that I've done. That's what a religious person done. But, but somebody who truly gets grace, they recognize that scale's never gonna tip. And you have this, this Mary-like experience where when you think about Jesus, when, when you, think, you think like the apostle John does in 1 John chapter three where he says, behold, look, what kind of love is this that God pours out on us in Jesus? John's saying, it's unreal that God would love me. Mary's saying, I don't get this, that God would pour out grace on me. As a Christian, you should never get tired of hearing about the grace of God. In fact, it was just this week, I was watching this video, it came through on Twitter, maybe you saw it, is this, this, this little kid sitting down, and it looked like it was a birthday or a Christmas kind of thing, and he's opening up these presents, and he has this little picture, and it's a picture of the family he's in. He's a foster kid in this family, and there's this family photo. He's like, okay, that's kind of cool, what's up with that? And then a little note inside, and on the note, it says, hey, it says, hey, hey the next family picture we take, you're going to be in it because we want to adopt you. 
we want you to be fine. And he, he just starts bawling, right? And, and, and it was really dry at that time because my eyes started watering as well, all right? I'm just, I'm just like, just, and he's like, are you for real? Are you for real? He couldn't believe it. And the mom's hugging him. And he goes, I am. I'm part of this family now. He goes, you're a part of the family. You're never going to be not a part of this family. This is us. You're our son now. And he's blown away. Listen, listen, that's you if you're a Christ follower. That we would be that blown away. God, for real? I'm a child of yours now? That you would adopt me? That you would choose me? I mean, what's that do in your heart? Uh, uh, somebody who's a true Christ follower who really gets this, you can't get past that. A religious person, they just assume it. Well, of course God loves me. Look how awesome I am. Look at all the things I've done. Let, let me give you my, my list of things I've accomplished for the Lord. Listen, there is this security and a certainty of God's grace that, that when you recognize, man, I don't need to earn this. I've, I've just received this. You don't worry about it. When you truly get it, you're blown away by it, and it changes everything. You live differently. You, you actually begin to walk with, with greater joy, with greater peace, with greater security, with greater worship, where, where you're like, man, I have Jesus. He actually chose me. You've got to be kidding. This is amazing. And it changes everything. It, rather than just always worrying about, oh, what about my sin? You're like, I got sin. I know I do, but I can give it to Jesus. Let's do this. Let's keep walking forward in faith. The grace of God changes everything. And Mary, she's like, what? God graced me? Well, what's it mean then that God graced me? Look at verse 30. Now here comes the, the hard news of this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's pretty awesome. But here's the thing. Here's this junior high girl hearing that news. Here's this, this girl who has already planned her perfect wedding. Here's this girl who had already picked out the dress, probably, already had the meal, already planned for the reception, had already had the guest list, had, had been bringing the bills to her dad, saying, Dad, this is what I want. Can we do this? Can we do that? And she's enjoying all this. She's looking so forward to this life full of joy, what tomorrow's going to hold with Joseph, the, the, the dude that she just loves. Then this angel busts in, and maybe, maybe she's at her parents' house doing chores, and the angel just comes into that place and, and says, Hey, you have God's grace. Are you kidding me? I've got God's grace. This is unbelievable. And then he says, here's what it's going to look like in your life. You're going to be with a child. Like what? That, that's not good news for Mary. Uh, I thought that grace was going to be good news. That does not sound like good news for Mary. I mean, this is going to crush her dreams. Can you imagine the thoughts going through this junior high girl's mind right now? I mean, she knew the law. She, she knew that if, if this got out there, that, that she's betrothed to another man and, and, and she, she's now pregnant, it's called adultery. She, she's going to be stoned to the, could be stoned for this. She, she would know that. Even if she wasn't going to be stoned, she, she'd be like, man, marriage is off. We can't have the, the wedding that I'd hoped for. We got to send back the gifts. We got to destroy the guest list. This whole thing is off. And, and then imagine what she's thinking. I'd be thinking this. She'd be thinking, man, I'm going to be a single teen mom. What if my parents kick me out of the house? What, what if I got to be on my own? How am I going to support this, this child? Am I, I mean, I going to have to beg for food and for money? I mean, this is not good news at all for Mary. 
She's been given this invitation saying, God's poured out his grace on you. He has a plan for you, but, but this plan has some huge consequences. Now, here's the thing. All of us have this same call on our lives. As followers of Jesus, he comes to each one of us and says, hey, follow me, follow me. I've got, I've got something for you. I want, I want you to give up your life for this, to serve, to lead, to give, to speak, to go, to love, to forgive, to sacrifice. And I have to wonder if in that moment, Mary had to, had to ponder a couple of questions. Maybe they're running through her mind in this moment. Here's the first question, our second point this morning. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? Like, like, Gabriel, you just stepped in here. You said my whole life is being disrupted. I'm going to have a child. I'm not even married yet. I, I could be stoned for this. And, and this child that I'm going to call Jesus, like, like I just want to know one thing. Is Jesus worth it? I mean, how often have you asked that question? Where you've wondered that? Where you really start to understand the call of God on your life. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm really going to be following Christ, this really changes everything for me. I'm going to have to, to, to give, to sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to have to forgive those who hurt me. I'm going to have to suffer, to bear a burden that, that he's called me to. And the, and the question we can ask is, man, is Jesus worth it? Mary would have to answer this question. You and I have to answer this question. Is Jesus worth it? And again, I would come back to the grace of God to begin to answer this question. I mean, think about what's going on here, that God, the creator of the universe, is on this rescue mission. God, the creator of the universe. In fact, I was reading about this just this week, that scientists say that there are a, a small number of these, these physical constraints in the universe. They're universal. They, they have to happen, these, these constraints. If, if these constraints weren't in place, the universe would not exist. And, and, and there are these perfections that are, that are found in, in measurements within how our universe is held together. If these measurements were just off by a zillionth, the universe wouldn't be. Right, so you think, if this measurement, if, if this distance, if, if this speed, if this force were just a little bit different, the universe wouldn't exist. And listen, that's why I don't have enough faith to believe that all this just happened, right? I don't have that kind of faith, man. That's why I got faith in God, that, that we have this awesome creator God who would set this up so perfectly. And then this awesome and powerful and glorious God steps out of eternity and into time in the form of a helpless baby. Uh, maybe you could hold in your hands. I mean, it's unbelievable that, that God would say, I'm entrusting myself to you. You're like, is, is the risk worth it? You start to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's the one who took the big risk. God, God said, my glory and my, my, my mission is worth this risk. The glory of my name is worth the risk. My plan to redeem and to save and to restore my people is worth the risk. Gabriel said his name would be Jesus, which means Savior. And his rescue plan will succeed. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there'll be no end. He's saying, this is going to work. It's worth it to follow Jesus. It's worth it. You think about Mary, what she would have experienced in her lifetime. She would have watched Jesus grow up. And then she was one of the ones who stood with him when he was hanging on the cross. When he cried out, it is finished. 
I mean, she saw the rescue mission of the cross happening right in front of her eyes where the wrath of God poured out on Jesus instead of on us. We deserved that wrath poured out on Christ so we could receive grace. She, she, was, the, she was at the tomb when, when Jesus had risen from the grave, so she knew the mission was a success. She was in the upper room with all the other disciples and people as they were praying when the, the Holy Spirit, the one that was promised by Jesus, would come. And if you asked Mary, was Jesus worth it? She'd say over and over again, man, I saw in the 33 years of Jesus' life, it was answered for me countless times, Mary would say. Is Jesus worth it? Yes. Yes. Here in this text, we actually see her ask a question. It's, it's another important question for us to ask. Is, is Jesus worth it is a good question to ask. But here's, here's a second one. Look at verse 34. Look, look what she asks. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Here's another question we can ask. Can God do it? Can God actually do this? I mean, Mary says, um, how, how is this possible? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a virgin. And then really her, her question isn't so much, I don't think, a biological question. It's, uh, Gabe, uh, here's what I think, saying, Gabe, Gabe, like, uh, I don't want to question God on this, but I don't understand it. My, my whole world's being flipped up, upside down, she's thinking. And, and I, I think <coughs> that we have to understand that when, when a divine intervention happens, when an invitation of God comes into our lives, for any of us, when we're called to serve and to follow and to, and to suffer and to give and to sacrifice for Christ and his kingdom, when there's that divine invitation, there is this appropriate awareness we have of our shortcomings to fulfill that. And I don't have the, I don't have the ability to make this happen. God comes to you and says, Here, here's, here's a, a task I want you to, to accomplish. Here, here's a burden I want you to bear. pretty much always it's going to be above and beyond what we can do in our own strength. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about that verse? God, God won't give you more than you can handle. Is it, isn't that God won't give what? what does, does it actually say that in, the, in that verse, that God won't give you more than you can handle? What it actually says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is that God will give us plenty that we in our own strength will not be able to handle. God does not give human-sized assignments in fact, in that same context where, where that verse in 2 Corinthians 10 talks about what God gives us, what we can handle, it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's God's grace given to you. So here's a question I want to ask you. Are, are you living in a way that, that shows that, man, if God does not show up, this does not happen? Are you following Christ where he's taking you? Are you trusting that as you step out of the boat onto the waves, as Jesus says, come on out, come on, come on, walk out where I am and be where I am. Are you trusting? Man, I trust his character. I trust his promises. I would say why it's, it's why it's so important for us to be people of the word, to be in God's word, because you need to know the character of God. You need to know the promises of God because he's going to be calling you out into something where you would say, I can't do this. So we need to have this locked down, secure, unshakable, solid, stable, immovable reality of the promises and the hope we have in God. I mean, that's what Mary's basically saying. She's saying, Gabriel, I can't do this. Can God do this? 
Because if God doesn't do this, it's not going to happen. Like, don't play games with me here, Gabriel. This is too much for me to do on my own. This this task is too great. This is too much for me to bear. How is God going to accomplish this? Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And here's the thing, Gabriel doesn't give Mary a ton of details. He just says, listen, listen, God's gonna make it happen. The Holy Spirit's gonna do something and it's gonna happen. You're, you're gonna have a child. And then he says, hey, 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 look at Elizabeth. I think there's a couple reasons why, why, why the angel's sending Mary to go see her relative Elizabeth. He said, hey, hey, go check it out. Let me just show you how God, what, what God can do. Remember how, how old she was, how they hadn't had any kids, but look at, look at, boost, boost your faith up. Go, go look and see how God does the impossible. I think that's part of it. I think there's another part. I think there's something unique about being in community together when we're being called to something greater than ourselves, to be able to, to gather with other believers, to be able to hear stories of God at work, to be able to be encouraged by each other. Listen, it's why small groups here is not just kind of, hey, here's something we kind of do on the side. It's why we say get into a small group because it's in that that you'll be able to walk this out in a way that you can't do on your own. Go check out Elizabeth. Look at what God can do. Man, walk this out with her. He says, you want to know, can God do this? Listen, listen, Harvest, nothing's impossible with God. Like, do you really believe that? Like, we can read that. We've heard the Christmas story before. Do we really believe that nothing is impossible with God? That that God could create everything out of nothing? That God could take an old, barren woman like Elizabeth and open her womb. That, that God could take a, a virgin named Mary and give her a son. That, that God could take on human flesh and step into human history as Jesus Christ. That, that God could be raised from death. That God could raise us from death. That, that, that he can forgive us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that God can hear and answer prayer? Do you believe that, that God can take enemies and make them his friends? Nothing's impossible. Listen, Harvest, nothing is impossible with God. It's not. It's why we have hope. It's, it's why we sing. It's why we pray. It's why we serve, because our God is the God of the impossible, a God who can take the nobodies from nowhere, and he can change the world, because that's just what God does. Nothing's impossible. You know, after, after last Sunday's service, I was talking to somebody after the service and they, they were just sharing their life and it's a life filled with hurt and pain, a life filled with abuse and addiction. And yet, yet, yet as they were tearing up, they were actually celebrating all that God was doing and, and all that was happening in their life through Christ. And, and they actually said, how did I ever live without Jesus? How does anybody ever live without Jesus? Listen, I've seen marriages that were on their way to divorce, to be broken up for good, and they, and they, 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 they were restored. We've seen prodigals who were gone for years come home. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. I mean, this is what the angel says. The angel says, hey, hey, your hope isn't in your stuff. Your hope isn't in your financial situation. Your hope isn't in, in how connected you are. Your hope isn't in your family or your friends or politics or religious system. Our hope is in the Lord. Nothing's impossible with God. That's our lockdown, secure, unshakable, solid, stable, immovable hope that we have. 
How does Mary respond then? Mary asking these questions, is Jesus worth it? Can, can Jesus accomplish it? And she says in verse 38, question answered, she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you say. God, whatever you say, I, I'm pushing all my chips to the center of the table. God, I'm all in. That's where my hope is. Her response to this, because she believed Jesus is so worth it. God can do it. She goes, God, whatever you say, no matter how hard it is, God, I'm with you. I mean, that's hope, right? That, that's hope in the God of the impossible. I mean, once, once she realized that the, the, the kingdom of heaven is real, that, that God is who he says he is, she's like, I'm all in. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a slave to God, that, that my rights no longer matter. I'm all in. I belong. I'm not myself anymore. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to you, God, for your glory, for your name. She's not, not dividing up our stuff anymore, saying, well, I'll give this much. I'll hold on to this. Je Jesus died for me, took my sin, my failure, gave me his righteousness in exchange. Man, I'm all in. I'm sold out. And the question for us is, is this true of us? How does this impact you? I'm telling you, churches are filled with people who have given up on any hope of a radically different, of, a, of an abundant life promised by Jesus. And, and we exchange this abundant life of following Jesus into the unknown, into the, the when God shows up, I can't believe what he did. We, we, we sacrifice that for this normal, just going to church, doing the religious things. And, and maybe this morning you're like, yeah, but Kai, I, I'm no Mary, man. I, I, don't, I don't have what Mary had. Listen, she was a nobody, a poor young girl in a nowhere town. Her only prerequisite to be used by God for these amazing things was that she said, God, I'm yours. That's it. Listen, pride needs to die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride needs to be gone where you realize, man, the highest glory I have is to be used by God to show the world the glory of God. But this can only happen when we're willing to be nothing so God can be everything. If you wanna, I wanna be filled with the power of God. I wanna be filled with the spirit of God. What, what does this look like? It's simply this, where, where you have your life completely yielded to him. When your hands are fully open, Jesus, I'm all yours. Whatever you want, take. Wherever you wanna send me, I'll go. Listen, my, my prayer for you the, this Christmas, honestly, this is it from, from the bottom of my heart. My prayer is this, that the Lord would bless you this Christmas. I believe he has so many things he wants to, to pour out, so many mighty things he wants to do in our midst. And I believe that he can still do the miraculous amongst us. And I also believe that only happens amongst those who see their own brokenness and sin and weakness and know they need the Lord above all else. That's where God really works. You know, Hudson Taylor, one of, one of my favorite missionaries, he, he was a missionary to China. And he was in China for his whole life. And when he came back, people asked me, they said, hey, hey, Mr. Taylor Hudson, how, uh, why is it that, that God used you for thousands and thousands of lives to be changed? And Hudson said, I guess he looked around and he found the weakest person he could find. Is that the he said, I, I was the weakest. Listen, as the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, listen, this is so key. Mary's whole life, what was it about? Her whole life was that I found favor with God. Look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. 
my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her whole life now is about, I'm all for God's favor now. I don't need to find favor in my friends, in my family, in my stuff. My favor is with God. So, so Harvest, here's where, here's where the key to this is. How do we have a hope that we can stand on? It's when we make the favor of God our focus. We recognize he's so worth it. That we want to live for your glory, God, not for the glory of anything else. That we fear you more than we fear people around us and things around us. The favor of God is our focus. And when that's there, there is a sure hope for us. Now, now, it doesn't mean that life will be sweet and easy. I mean, the hope of, hope of God's favor in us as we pursue his favor, it's not all gumdrops and rainbows. It means that, that God will use you, though. Listen, God will use you for something greater than yourself, something greater than the here and now, that, that your life can be used for eternal purposes. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Mary right now, do you think that right now, if you were to ask Mary right now, this minute, do you think she's bummed out at all that God poured out his grace in her life? right? The hope we have, it's an eternal hope. No difficulty here can ever rob you of what God has for you in eternity. And so, so Mary's message comes to us this Christmas season. It's simply this. Here, here's the message we can pull from what went on in Mary's life. Jesus is worth it and God can do it. And so we can say, I'm a servant of the Lord. May it be done unto me as you say. Listen, that's the locked down, the secure, the unshakable, the solid, the stable, immovable hope we can have. Would you stand with me this morning as we close off in worship? Maybe this morning for you, it's a morning where, where, where this morning would be a morning where you don't just know the truth in your head. But will you be able to call out, God, I, God I, I trust in your promises. I know your promises are true. I'm all in today. I mean, Mary responded with a song of worship and a life of worship. So, so this morning that you'd be able to say, I, I give up all I have because of Christ. I, I can give up all that I have because in Christ, I have all that I need. And that, that's, that's what we want to have this morning as we go out of here, our response this morning. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, man, here's the great news for you, that God can say to you, the same as to this, this poor peasant girl, he would say to you, hey, favored one, I knew you before the foundation of the world. I sent my son for you to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin and shame. And, and the son that's been born to you if you surrender your life to him, acknowledge that he is Lord, you have this hope. For all of us this morning, let, let, let's respond in that way. A life of worship, a life that would say, Jesus, you're so worth it. And we believe that you can do it. Amen? Let me pray before we sing. Lord God, thank you so much for the hope we have in you. That it's sure and unshakable. And God, because of that, we want to live our lives for your glory and your glory alone. And Lord God, that out of that, we know that when, when our lives are focused on your glory, knowing that's our ultimate satisfaction and joy found in you, that God, mission just happens. Lord, you can use us for incredible things because God, our whole life focus is for you. Father, thank you for the grace that you've poured out on us that we can stand on so surely to know that you're worth it and you can do it. That nothing is impossible for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.